Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. It's how you want to hunt. There's no right or wrong, you know? Yeah. I'm never going to look at somebody and say, you hunt compound, you're wrong. Yeah. You hunt a private, you're wrong. Each their own, what you want to do, you know? Yeah. We have, we're too small of a community to be fighting amongst each other, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, people talk about all the time, well, if we're going to, we're going to keep hunting alive, we need more hunters. That's not true because the hunters are such a small population, you know? We'll never have enough hunters to be a swing vote, to keep public access or our private lands to be able to hunt it's about representing the hunters that are in existence better oh you got her dude she's down let's go dude i just shot a deer of a lifetime freaking smoked him one with nature and if you're a believer one with god definitely gets your heart pumping Boy, you are in trouble. Follow Obsession Podcast. All right, we're back for another Fall Obsession Podcast episode driven by our friends over at Ridge Rock Hunt Company, and we'll talk more about them at the end of the episode in the sponsor segment. I'm Sam with Fall Obsession, your podcast host. Appreciate you guys tuning in to another Monday morning episode. I'm pretty stoked about this week. Um... One, to be recording in person with our guests, not something that we get to do all the time here on our podcast, and then um, also what we're going to get into today here with a friend of mine I've gotten to know here, a little bit better here recently, Jesse Johnson. Welcome to the podcast, man. Appreciate you having me. Excited about it. Yeah, man. We're happy to have you on board, and uh, I know, like I said, we've kind of met through church and everything Mm -hmm. and kind of gotten to know each other a little bit a little bit better in recent months and everything. Yep. Kind of talking hunting and stuff. Yeah. That's figuring out we're both obsessed. <laughs> yeah, we're both obsessed with hunting, figuring yeah. all that out and everything. But uh and we got some earlier today we shot some cool video content together too that'll be coming to our fall obsession pages in the in the near future and looking forward to sharing that. But um man, I before we get into the the meat of our discussion and I know a lot of it'll probably revolve around public land hunting mm-hmm. because that's a big part of what you are passionate about. 
and mm-hmm. one of the reasons I, I asked you to join us. But um, for our listeners' sake and our viewers' sake, go ahead and just kind of tell us a little bit about yourself, kind of where where you come from, where you've been, and your experience as a hunter. Cool, cool. Um, so like Sam said, Jesse Johnson, uh, I grew up in South Louisiana, um, grew up pretty much a hunting family, uh, all my grandparents, aunts, uncles, everybody hunted, uh, lived there till I was 16 or 17, then moved up to Texas, um, but like I said, grew up hunting down there, uh, family land, uh, private access, um, did that my entire life, always kind of loved it more than uh, everybody else I knew, um, looked forward to it more than uh, everybody else. Uh, when we got in high school and everything, people started playing sports. I actually quit high school sports because I didn't like missing missing the fall and uh, <laughs> not being able to hunt. And, um, man, just fell in love with it, Try, trying to figure out how I could spend every second in the woods uh, and trying to expand that time, really. Uh, just the October through January season wasn't good enough for me, you know. When I discovered that January through February, March, you could do some pig hunting and start looking for sheds and you know, turkey hunting, um, and just learning summer patterns, cameras, stuff like that. Uh, I just became immersed in it, obsessed with it. Um, and it hasn't slowed down since I thought I would kind of maybe taper out, but every year I try to spend more time of starting to do a little bit more traveling, getting to experience, uh, other areas and different species to hunt. Um, moved up to Texas, uh, I guess it's been seven or eight years now. And, uh, have enjoyed getting to hunt Texas, hunting some of the public around here. Um, I've pretty much become inclusive bow hunter, uh, but I still do gun hunt a good bit. Uh, there's normally a mid mid season uh, gun hunt I'll go on, and we've done pretty good on that the last couple of years. But uh, just like you, man, any chance I can be in the woods, that's kind of what my life revolves around. Yeah, I mean that, that's how that's how you got to do it to yeah. make the most of every opportunity, you know, yeah. for sure. And uh, I know we, you know, we've, we've spent a, several hours at this point this evening together um, and had a bunch of conversations about hunting and, and public land, private land, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, it's always those conversations that aren't recorded that I'm like, man, this would be so yeah. awesome if we got that. Yeah. But and not, not to say we got to repeat everything, but I know one thing that we, we talked about is, um, you know, kind of the mindsets behind public land private land um some guys are really passionate about one or the other some guys hate one or the other you know and um, i I feel like you have a really good a really good stance on it because you have you have experience hunting both of them you know and it's you know there's as we were talking earlier there's pros and cons to both yeah uh yeah to talk about that you know i was i was kind of forced into public land um got out of high school i had moved from my home state no longer Louisiana, I was in Texas. So with that, I was away from family, access, permission land. I, I didn't know anybody. Um, I had access to one small little place, but it wasn't wasn't great hunting. And uh, I wasn't scratching the itch how I wanted to. I wasn't being able to get out there like I wanted to. And uh, I said, well, I guess I got to hunt public for a little while until I can afford a lease or something like that. And um, started doing my research and... Uh, uh, definitely got a piece of humble pie the first couple years. I'm still learning every time I go out. Um, but that first, I, I'll, I'll tell you a story. <laughs> the first time we ever hunted public, uh, 
my hunting partner that I do most of my hunting with, we literally had a llama come in. And I look, and I, I remember telling my hunting partner, I was like, this is, I'm not doing this. This is, <laughs> this is the nightmare of public land you always hear about. And we got better. And to this day, if I could go lease a property, I would. I had a, a lease a few years ago. You know, I, I go on some private hunts with people that invite me. But I've fallen in love with the accessibility of public. Um, it's something we talked about today. You're not going to lose it. Theoretically, you're not going to lose it. We've all had those heartbreakers, awesome deer lease, awesome hunting club, that someone came in and bought or you lost permission to hunt it for no certain reason. And, man, that's that's rough. So when you start really uh, researching and understanding the literally hundreds of, hundreds of thousands of acres that you have access to, an hour from your house, 30 minutes from your house. I, I hunted a piece of uh, public this morning before this. That's 20 minutes from my house. It's not the best hunting, but it's my land and it's your land. You have the right to go hunt it just as much as I do. And I hate when guys get in this fighting contest. Well, he hunts public, so he thinks he's a better hunter. Or he hunts private, so it's not as hard. That, I mean, I've hunted private land deer that are just as hard to kill as a public land deer. You know, trying to find a specific buck, a mature buck to kill on private can literally put gray hairs on your head. Yeah. Finding a deer to kill on public can put gray hairs on your head. Uh, so I, I hate the fight back and forth between that. But I have embraced being a quote-unquote public land hunter um, just because I like to explore. I like to scout new areas. Uh, people give me a hard time because I'll get zoned in on an area, have some great hunts. And then they'll ask me, you going back there this weekend? I'm like, no, nah, I'm going to go check out this other WMA. Well, why are you doing that? Because I enjoy the search. You know, we're hunters. We're hunting for something. I like hunting for that, that next white oak ridge, that next creek bottom to hunt. And uh, just the accessibility of it, um, the vast amount of it. You know, people say all the time, Texas doesn't have a lot of public land. It does if you do your research. Um, it doesn't have as much as Oregon does. But, you know, anybody can go out there and hunt it. And if you put the work in and the effort in, you can be successful on it. You know, in the last couple of years, I've been blessed. We've been hunting public for either three or four years. I've killed two great bucks on it. I've missed a couple really good bucks that we can get into. Um, and it's just, it's out there to go do for anyone. Uh, so I hate when I hear people say, I don't have somewhere to hunt. Everybody's got somewhere to hunt. Uh, you know, if you have private access, go hunt it. If you have public access, go hunt it. Uh, do either or, whatever you want to do. Yeah. Um, but there's there's something different about public. It's a it's a level playing field, and when you are almost handicapped, I mean you're in the deer's backyard, uh, and you have nothing going for you. They know every nook and cranny. They know what they're supposed to be smelling. They know that acorns are natural. It's not a pile of corn, and I have nothing wrong with that. You want a bait? That's fine. I've killed a lot of deer over bait. Uh, that's completely fine with me. But when you're and that element, you have to hunt natural sources, natural funnels. It sharpens your your edge as a hunter, and you learn a lot. That first first couple seasons we hunted, uh, it was it was pretty frustrating. Yeah. Um, but when you get success, it's sweet. Yeah. It it's it, it you're earning it more, yeah. or you feel like you yeah. are, and, and rightfully so. Um, you, you definitely get what you put into it too. Mm -hmm. And uh, to to build on what you said about Texas not having tech quote unquote Texas not having public land. Yeah. Like you said, they do. There's this misconception, and, and I'm guilty of falling into it, of how, you know, well, it's just, it's it's so 
it's so densely hunted. You know, mm-hmm. there's so many guys that hunt Texas public lands that really worth my time right. and, and everything like that. And and if you, for lack of a better term, if you hunt superficially out there, mm-hmm. and, and this is coming from this is coming from a guy who's looking from the outside in because I I'm not a public land hunter. Mm-hmm. You know, at, at least here in Texas, and from the outside looking in, you know, yes, if you hunt the if you hunt the edges, if you hunt the easy spots, those are the spots that there's going to be more people at. But I know you dive pretty far yeah. back in there and you know not to get into any of your spots or your secrets no, or anything no. like that but you, but you put the work in to go back in there and and find those little honey holes that you know are are hard to get to but there's more more reward yeah. in the end so yeah when i first started doing it uh <clears throat> i laughed thinking about some of my purchases or game plans uh <clears throat> my hunting partner would really laugh about it too brian you know him uh he's one of those guys he's just like if if he's got three arrows, he's good for the year. He just make <laughs> he makes his gear work, and I admire it about him. Like he doesn't have the best gear, but I was always that one. Okay, if I can get a saddle, that's gonna be the ticket. Okay, if I can get better boots, that's the ticket. If I can get drawn instead of walk in public, that's the ticket. And I've learned in the last three to four years, it's about the boots on the ground. It's the guy that's willing to go that last half mile, cross that last creek, uh, go in a little bit earlier walk in two miles instead of one mile to be able to get wind access right mm-hmm. it's just about hard work and i will say this too the pressure on public land it's different because i've hunted five six hundred acre deer leases with 10 guys hunting it and that's getting more pressure than the thirty thousand acre place i hunt that has probably a thousand guys hunting it because it's about the access i would say after the first mile you lose 70 percent of your hunters most of your guys in Texas are not going to go past a mile. And there's places where I've gotten to that I've never seen another boot track in. And then there's places that I've watched 10 guys walk from their truck, and I've had great hunts five, literally 500 yards from the parking spot. Hmm. It's about adapting to the deer, you know. Uh, there's an old saying. <laughs> I was bad at this when I first started hunting public. There's an old saying, hunt where the deer are, not where you think they should be. That Duh, that makes sense. Yeah. I remember walking past good sign being like man this is a good spot but i bet everybody hunts here and one day i was just naive enough to be like i'm just gonna hunt here because there's rubs here there's scrapes here there's obviously a funnel i'm like jesse you're making this a lot more difficult than you need to (laughs) the deer are here for a reason just hunt it yeah so it's a challenge you learn you learn how to hunt it uh just like you got to learn how to hunt a certain private piece you know it's like the the place you were hunting this year you had to get it dialed in this year and figure out how that property had to work Mm -hmm. uh you kind of got it zoned, zoned out, figured out now. You know, you go on a new WMA, you figure out, you got to learn how the deer work that property. Yeah. Um, and it always makes it adventurous. I mean, you just never know what you're going to get into on, on public land. Right. So it's addicting. It's fun. Uh, and it's always there. It's always accessible. Yeah. It's so. like you said, it's it's your place. Yeah. It's, where, it's yours. Yeah. You know, and guys that get, I've had run-ins, guys, you're hunting my spot or that's my area. You want to be polite about it, nice about it, but you have just as much every right to it as I do, and it's, it's learning how to work together on stuff. You know, when I first started hunting, I was super secretive, you know, didn't show anybody pictures, I didn't see anything, that spot's not good. I'm pretty open now, I'll tell guys, because if, if I'm honest with the guy and say, hey, that, that bottom's pretty good, you should go hunt it, I've learned guys will tell me, hey, well, that ridge is really good, you should go hunt it. And if you meet the right guys, you can work together as a team, and it's public does public gets a bad rap and it's if you hunt it right it it's a it's a great opportunity yeah 
Um, I mean, you deal with the same stuff that you deal with on private, but it's just a little bit different game. Yeah. So, so talking about that different game, um, let's talk a little bit about some of the gear that okay. you utilize to, you know, to, to make the most out of every opportunity and, and what you have to work with out there, because obviously public land is different than mm-hmm. private in that you, you don't have necessarily pre preset Presets, stuff yeah. out there or, you know, can't bait like you can on private and, right. and all that kind of stuff. What, what do you use to, like I said, make the most out of every opportunity? Right. <clears throat> so, um, my first mistake when I started hunting public, uh, I started off my first year I ever hunted public. I said, well, what the heck? I'm going to go for it. And I decided that was when I was going to start traditional bow hunting too. <laughs> we can get into that more. Um, but I, I typically hunt with a stick bow. I'm starting to hunt with compounds some now. Um, I shoot a Hoyt uh, Torix, uh, and then I shoot a couple different laminated bows. But my first year, I hunted out of a Lone Wolf Assault or Alpha, your classic, you know, every public land hunter. Right. Four sticks, and uh, that was great for a couple years. Enjoyed it. I probably killed more deer out of that stand than any other stand. Um, and then I got into the saddle craze. Uh, that was another one of those gear purchases. I'm like, if I can just get in a saddle, I'll be able to, that's what I need. Hunted from the saddle for a while. Uh, loved it. I still utilize it. Um, and then this year we started incorporating, not to my credit, uh, Brian started doing some ground hunting with ghillie suits. Mm-hmm. We started playing with that. Man, we were really impressed by how much we could get away with, um, the mobility of it. You know, you're in a tree stand and you realize, I picked the wrong fork in a trail. You got to take down a stand, move it. You're in a ghillie suit. It's the deer in the clear. You move over there and get reset up. Um, so when I first started, I was trying to figure out what my setup and my gear was. I've just developed a toolbox now. Right. If I'm going, if you ask me, textbook hunt, Jesse, what do you want to do? I want to carry in a lock-on. Because no matter what anybody says, a lock-on is more comfortable than a saddle. <laughs> Saddles are great, but... Three or four hours in one, you're going to sick, be sick of standing on the tiny platform. Yeah. Um, you can't shoot 360 in them, uh, like some guys say. You can't shoot 360 in a, a lock-on, um, especially not with a 62-inch bow. Um, that weak side shot's tough. But a saddle does put you in certain trees that you can't get a lock-on in. So anyway, my textbook hunt would be carry my lock-on in. Uh, I still have my lone wolf, but I... Spent some money this year, and I bought the Lone Wolf Custom. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Um, it's a newer tree stand uh, that the previous owners of Lone Wolf came out, started a separate company, and they built just an incredible Lone Wolf .5. It's, a, I think, I want to say it's six pounds for a stand. The sticks are like oh. a pound. Uh, so I carry that in with four sticks. Two of them have eighters. Um, the areas we hunt, most you're getting is about 15, 16 feet. That's my go-to. If I get to a certain area where I, I know I'm going in mobile, I'm picking out a new area to hunt. I don't have because we have presets on public lands too. Public right. land too, like the uh, couple of my bucks have been shot of the same tree every year. I'm gonna hunt those the second week of November. I'm gonna be in that tree. Right. You know, I leave my bow hook in it. Uh, it's a preset. <laughs> yeah. Other than the stand, if I'm going into a new area, I'm gonna take that saddle because it's so light. I can wear it in. I can um, hang either like a wild edge step, something like that. I could be up in a tree. Uh, or if I get some of these weird Texas trees that are leaning and crazy, I'll, I'll grab that saddle. Um, and then if there's times late season, uh, when our trees are just barren and you just look like a sore thumb sitting in that tree, 
uh, we've started utilizing that ghillie suit. Mm-hmm. And between those three, pretty much can handle anything that the woods throw at us uh, and not be miserably carrying a certain amount of weight in. Yeah. Uh, it's funny, I look back at some of the stuff I used to bring in on public, on private land hunts, and I'm, I'm bringing in less on public because I wanted to get my pack weight down so much. You know, I used to bring in all these things, big cameras, and now I've got it down to pretty much a, a backpack. Um, I do uh, use a good frame pack, a lightweight frame pack, and we bone and quarter out all of our deer. We don't drag them out because, like you said, a lot of our stuff is we're a mile and a half deep. We're mm-hmm. going to clean them right on the ground, put them in the backpack in a game bag like they do with elk hunting or something, Yeah, carry them out. That's probably my most vital uh, piece of equipment. Got to have a good pack. And then good binos, range finder. Uh, man, any, we try to avoid bringing anything else in. It just yeah. gets too heavy. You know, because it is public land, so there's been times, you know, you go into a spot mile and a half, and there's a guy already hanging in that tree, and you're playing B real fast. Uh, you don't want to be carrying 35, 40 pounds on your back, so right. learn to be mobile and take the punches that it throws at you. Um, but, yeah, between those three stands, uh, either one of my bows, a good pack, good pair of boots, and in Texas, a lot of times snake boots early season, uh, that's the gear you need. And we're camping a lot. Um, no time to have a place to stay, so... Most of these WMAs were sleeping in the truck or in a tent. So it's kind of the gear I, I run. Yeah. Uh, started investing this year in some better camo clothing. Uh, learned the quality of a good base layer. Mm-hmm. Uh, me and you were talking about some camo today. Um, but yeah, that's it, gear-wise. Yeah, awesome. So, so many, a lot of different rabbit trails and, and directions yeah. we, we could go off of this. And, and not to say we won't try to hit hit some of them, but... Um, another thing that you, at least from what I've seen, you, you do put forth an effort to try and document a lot of your experiences out there as, you know, in the form of photos, videos, whatever it might be. Tell us a little bit about that. And on top of being a public land hunter, a traditional bow hunter, you're also trying to self film everything. Yeah. Talk about how that incorporates into everything. Yeah. I'll say public land's hard. Traditional bow hunting's hard. None of them are as hard as self film. <laughs> it's a nightmare sometimes, man. I mean, just uh, I don't know how some guys get away with a cameraman, just the movement and everything. Um, but when I first started, I was carrying in. I want to say it was a Canon Rebel. Don't quote me. I don't know mm-hmm. cameras. It's a big camera, uh, and it was too heavy. I was setting up a tree arm every time, and I. I Missed out on a lot of opportunities because I was fooling with the camera. Then I was like, no, I'm not filming at all. But I'm, I, I like going back to be able to relive. Uh, another huge thing for being a bow hunter, having some type of footage of where that deer was standing, where it ran to, is huge. Um, so then I went to just a little handy cam. Uh, had some issues with that uh, battery-wise. Just never had the right batteries, cold weather. So I've kind of settled on the phones have gotten so good. Yeah. A little screw in, uh, camera mount phone. I'll freehand film a lot. Uh, um, try to have whatever the most recent Android or whatever it is with a, a better phone. And that's what I'm shooting like my B roll with. Um, and then I've gotten to the point on my, my shots, I don't mess with camera anymore. I, I wear a GoPro Hero 8 Black Edition uh, on my head, kick it a little bit sideways, and I have it on one button mode. When I see an animal in front of me, which most times I'm public, I'm going to shoot it. It's one click, and it's it's going to get me good footage. 
to where I can share the, share the experience. I'm going to be able to know where the deer was. And then I'll go back to B-roll with the phone and everything. But um, pretty much phone, a GoPro. And I, I will carry in the handy cam sometimes, camp footage, stuff like that. But yeah. GoPro's a game changer for me, self-filming-wise. Just don't got to worry about it. Yeah, absolutely. So you we've we've barely touched it a couple mm-hmm. times just throughout the conversation about the traditional yep. bow hunting side of everything. Yep. That's... That's a whole nother challenge on top, like like we just talked about, a whole nother challenge on top of everything else that you're doing. But yeah. tell us why you're a trad guy why, right. and why why you love that and, and how all that how all that plays in for you. Um, so I'll tell a little bit of the backstory because yeah. it's a cool story. Um, <clears throat> so like I said, in South Louisiana, everybody hunts. There's a difference between a, a hunter and a woodsman. Somebody that just hunts and then somebody that lives that passionate, obsessed life of hunting. Mm-hmm. I remember when I was like 14 years old, I was going to my grandfather's house. Uh, my grandfather's probably big, one of the, other than my dad, the biggest influence in my life, taught me the basics of hunting. Here's a scrape, here's a rub line, things like that. Um, I went over to his house and there was a gentleman at his house. His name's uh, Oscar Long and uh, he's Cajun from South Louisiana and Man, if it walks, crawls, swims, he can catch it, kill it, trap it. Just talented guy. Yeah. Grew up in the woods. And um, we, I met him, shook his hand and everything. And I remember my grandfather saying, Jesse, Mr. Oscar hunts with a, a traditional bow. What do you mean a traditional bow? He said, a long bow. I said, like, one of the like Indian bows, like cowboy Indian bows? And he's like, yeah. I didn't even know you could hunt with that. Like, I was like, no one hunts with that. You know, I'm, I'm thinking of, like, the little suction cup bows we had when we were kids that stick to the wall. <laughs> And uh, he started telling me about this, him hunting with it, and how close you got to get to the deer, and how he makes his arrows and all this stuff. And I'm I'm geeking out. I'm like, that's so cool. Uh, so he invited me. He said, uh, he said, hey, next time you get off school or whatever, or you get a time, give me a call, get your papa to call me, and you come over and shoot my bow. And I said, oh, I, I would love to. So we set it up like two weeks later, and it was like, you know. It was like the first time you see a deer from a tree stand. You're like, man, I love this. Like, I want to do this. The first time I drew back a stick bow and I hit anchor and I watched that arrow fly, didn't even hit where I was aiming. It was just, I fell in love with it. You know, I love compounds, shoot them all the time. But, you know, you don't get to watch that arrow fly. You don't get the the relationship with the bow. You know, if you mess up shooting a trad bow, you're not blaming it on your cams. You're not blaming it on your rest. If you mess up, it's because of you, you know? Yeah. You take the factor of the bow out. And uh, so I bought a bow. I was like, I'm I'm, gonna, I'm a stick bow hunter now. Traditional bow hunter. Well, I didn't know what I was doing. I was like, I shoot a 60-pound bow, went out and bought a 55-pound recurve. I was 14. <laughs> I blew my shoulder out. I couldn't hit anything. I was like, this, no, this is not me. I can't do this. So unstrung it, didn't think anything about it. Through high school, college, killed a lot of deer with compound. And in no way felt like I had conquered it. I just was like, man, I want to shoot that trad bow again. So when I started hunting public, I was like, hey, let's just jump in, you know, uh, deep as we can. Let's start mobile hunting, traditional bow hunting, and public land bow hunting all at a time. It's a terrible decision. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I totally nerd out on it. Uh, I build bows uh, all the way from uh, an Osage tree stave, uh, build bows, make my own strings, 
build my own arrows. We'll shoot wood arrows. I shoot carbons on uh, my actual hunting bow just because they're so durable. Uh, fixed blade broadheads, uh, process feathers from turkeys I kill. And those are my fletchings. It's just fun. You know, it's like yeah. fly tying. Like you get into fly fishing, you're going to eventually tie flies. Um, it just puts you in a connection with it. Um, so I started doing that two or three years ago. And uh, it's been a roller coaster. Um, I probably didn't put as much time into shooting as I should have. Uh, and I had some heartbreak moments missing a couple good deer with it. But I will say this, like, you miss a deer with compound, it's just like, man, it just ruins everything. Yeah. You hang up a stick bow, you kind of just laugh and like, I'm doing it the hardest way possible. It bothers you, but it doesn't bother you as much. And, yeah. you know, it's fun, you know, just slinging arrows. You become a kid again. You remember the first time you got a bow? Mm -hmm. You went in the backyard and you're like, this is a blast. You know, you saw me today, like, I'll go out in the woods and a squirrel's a hunt again. A rabbit's a hunt again. Shooting a pine cone on the ground's fun again. And uh, it's just, it kind of be kind of consumes you. And it's not for everybody. Uh, some people love it. I go back and forth. I went hardcore trad for a little while. And I don't even like being associated with that because some people kind of turn their nose up and think they're better. It's just the way you choose to do things, you know. Some people fish for bass. Some people fish for catfish. Uh, some people hunt with stick bow. Some people hunt with compound. Um and I went a little bit too deep in it. I've come back some. I've started hunting with compound again, and I've enjoyed it. I went to Colorado last year, took my compound, had a blast hunting elk. Um, but my heart's at traditional bow hunting. It's it's fun. It's it's what I think about. It's what I enjoy doing. And sooner or later, I'm gonna get it figured out. Yeah, <laughs> we start putting some deer down with it. But yeah, it's I encourage anybody uh, to try it at least once. So yeah, absolutely. Yep. So to get into some specific hunting stories some yep. hunting adventures I, I think a good one to start with is is one that you just just mentioned and you you had a trip up to Colorado yep last year on on an elk hunt tell us a little bit about that yep so I kind of had a goal mindset of I consider like the big three to me I want to hunt elk I want to hunt mule deer and I want to hunt antelope I said I'm going for the elk first uh that's what I'm going to do and I Started reading stats and everything. Takes the average elk hunter, I think, three to four years to kill an elk. So I told myself, when I'm 25, I'm going to go on my first elk hunt. I'm going to kill one by the time I'm 30. Then I'm going to do mule deer for the next five years, antelope for the next five years. I'm going to get it figured out. So my first year I was going to go uh, was the year I turned 25. I was headed to Idaho. COVID happened, shut things down, travel got shut down. Nightmare, total bummer. Um... Ended up deciding to go hunt Colorado. Had some intel from a good buddy. Uh, we didn't go in fully blind. I wish I could take credit and say we just were master e-scouters and everything. We had some <laughs> intel. We knew where some elk were at. Um, and I'm a big hiker, backpacker and everything, so I wasn't scared of that. So last year we took off on a roughly 16-mile hike into Colorado backcountry. Uh, hiked it all the way in. Heavy packs, everything bow hunting, over the counter, and uh, it was everything I dreamed of, man. I mean, living out of tent for, we were there, we hit the trailhead Saturday morning and came out, I think Sunday, the next week. So, living off MREs, granola bars, all that kind of stuff, catching wild trout. So, we hiked in, and uh, we had the be beget best beginner's luck ever. You know, the night we put up our tents, we had bulls bugling. 
we had seen mule deer. We had cows come into camp, and we're like, we got this. We we practically had the elk in the game bags ready to go. First morning, uh, I think it was the first morning, called in a, uh, a raghorn spike. Came in, uh, mewing at us, uh, just crazy. And we're like, oh, man, we know what we're doing, <laughs> you know? So can't shoot a can't shoot a spike in Colorado, no big deal. Next day, worked the herd bull. Uh, first time I had a bull answer me. Uh, I think we got some footage of that. I'll share with you. Bull screams down from the bottom. We're like, this is just like primos, you know. Big bulls, like we we know what we're doing. Uh, third day, got in on a bull that was coming back to bedding and worked him for a little bit, um, and then it just it was like shut off overnight. We went from feeling like we were surrounded by bulls and having the hunt of our lifetime to wondering if there was elk anywhere on this mountain. Yeah. Um, and we had a great trip. We hunted hard for seven days, uh, found some wallows, found a moose shed, had an awesome encounter with the moose. Uh, just completely everything I'd want to be except for the elk hunting kind of dad at the end on the last day. Um, realized just how smart those elk are. Worked the bull. <clears throat> he came in, came in quiet, never bugled, and uh, never saw him, man. Mm. Took like 10 steps and he blew out. He had creeped in on us. Don't know, he wasn't a big bull, but he was a good over the counter at Colorado bull. Yeah. Don't know if he just wasn't a dominant bull, so he's quiet. Didn't want to get himself in a fight. And uh, he blew out. Um, but man, it just. We hit that trailhead the next morning, and I told myself, I will, for the rest of my life, I will not miss one year and not be in the mountains. It's yeah. just, as much as I love hunting whitetail, you know, it's it's a different game. Yeah. Uh, but I was equally as excited to get back and jump in a, a deer stand. Yeah. So that was that was a fun trip. Awesome. Yep. Well, jumping back into that deer stand, mm-hmm. I know... We'll start with the with the painful side because you yep. you already mentioned at the beginning of the episode you had a, a couple couple missed opportunities missed shots that you you'd share with us so let's let's hear about the the ugly part. All right, so you want just this year or some of the the um, over the last couple of years? Well, whatever comes to your mind, whatever whatever you you want to share. <laughs> I'll give you, I'll give you a couple of them. So uh, the second year we hunted public. First year, I don't know if we killed anything the first year. I had some opportunities, just hadn't hadn't really learned what we were doing yet. Second year, we killed a couple of deer, uh, and it was mid-November. I had found this ridge. kind of goes back to my story about hunting where the deer are, not where you think they should be. Right. I was going way far back on this unit. Going way back there, no one else hunts back there. Like the third time I hunted it, I was like, man, I always see deer there. Why are there always deer there? And I hadn't seen any deer in the back. I'm like, well, you dummy. Why don't you hunt where you're seeing deer at? Yeah. So right where I'd blown these does out, <clears throat> I hung a stand. Only like two hours left. And those does came back and fed. I said, well, I'm going to leave my stand up. I'll hunt in the morning. Went back that next morning. Slow morning. And uh, I think, I think it was probably... 10, 15 or so. And one thing I will say that I've known this ever since I've hunted just because my grandfather taught me this. Uh, that 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock midday is a, an awesome time to kill big bucks. And um, 
it was probably 10.30, 11 o'clock, and uh, I'd grunted a couple of times. I had a buck stand up about 70 yards from me, and I could see him to this day. He wasn't a monster, but he was a great public land buck. Came in full, not full run to me, but uh, I mean, he was coming in to, to whip my butt. Yeah. I just grunted in his his backyard. He came in with that whole sideways thing, you know, where they're carrying their head sideways. Mm. And, man, I turned and looked at that stick bow, and I was like, oh, I'm so stupid. Why do I have this <laughs> stick bow? He came in at 15 yards, and uh, I drew back. I hit anchor, and I'm a gap shooter. I don't I don't instinct shoot. I, I reference the tip of my arrow. Mm-hmm. So I know, okay, tip of my arrow needs to be X amount of inches at this distance. Um, I hit anchor, and I gave him the classic, meh. And I've never seen a deer blow out so fast. Just really? spun and took off. And I said, you know what? I'm never bleeding at a deer again. Fast forward the next year. Had another buck come in. Wasn't as big of a buck. And I was like, I got to stop him. I bleated at him. Blew out. And I swore to myself, I said, I'm never stopping a deer again. <laughs> Twice in a row. I don't know if it's public. They're skittish. I don't know if stick bow range 15 yards and it startles them. So, fast forward to this year, I had a really good nine point come in, hunting a little creek bottom. Um, I'm a big transition guy. Some guys are really big on hunting acorns. I'll hunt acorns quite a bit. Early season, it's like hunting over a feeder. You find the right oak tree, you're going to be on deer. Right. Um, because I can normally only hunt weekends, uh, I can't consistently stay on the acorn crop. I'm big on funnels and transitions, and I hunted this little creek bottom that had bedding, and pinch point funnel and uh hunted it that afternoon had a great nine point come out on the trail on me and um steady walk and drew back let him keep walking i hit him mid uh mid shoulder left and right but high i couldn't really tell and it looked like i made a good shot text my buddy and said i think i just killed a really good buck so Gave it probably 30 minutes. Took my stand down. Went back to the truck. Dropped everything. Came back and uh, found my arrow. And it, it smelled like uh, deer fat. Mm. No blood on it. And I was like, ooh, that oily, that's not good. Just text Brian. <clears throat> Maybe text Brian. I don't remember. So I'm going to sit down and uh, I'm going to go. I'm going to walk to where I last saw him. Because I watched him run like 60 yards. And uh, just learn to do that. Go to the last place you saw him. So I walked like 60 yards. At this point, it's pitch black dark. And uh, grab my arrow. I go like 60 yards. And I say, I'm going to sit here because I know I don't have a double lung shot. Uh, i got to give this deer a couple hours. And I'm not walking back to the truck. Right. So I sit down and on my headlight, you have to click through all the settings. I'm on like 150 lumens. And this goes from like 150, 350, 600, 1,000. So you got to click through them. So I clicked through it, and I light up the whole area like a 1,000 lumens on accident. And when I do that, the buck stands up like 40 yards from me. Mm. And he just looks at me, and he's a good nine point. No blood on him, but he had been bedded there. Literally watched him turn around, and he just looked where I hit him, walked off just fine, went about 60 yards and blew. Deer was totally fine. He didn't die. There was no blood in his uh, bed. But that was a heartbreaker. Uh, yeah. So that was one of the bads of bad of this year, um, and then I, I showed you some footage earlier. I can get that to you too. I had uh, one of those 
moments when you know it's over before it even begins. <laughs> I was on a little transition area uh, that I like to hunt in November. It's a consistent area. We call it the zoo because um, I hunted this place two years ago, and I kept texting my cousin, Brian, saying, I'm going to get out at 11. I'm going to get out at 12. And I just kept seeing deer. And we ended up, by the time I hunted, I saw like 24 deer on public, which was just an insane wow. one. We're like, we're calling that the zoo. Um, so I'm in the zoo, and deer always funnel from the top. Does come from the bottom. The bucks come from the top. Normally the does come right here. The bucks will meet them. It's still early November, so I didn't expect the bucks to be um, kind of uh, uh, just left me doed up when they're kind of locked down, right? Right. So I hear deer coming behind me, and I turn over my right shoulder, and I'm looking, and I see a doe. And she's got that steady walk tail up, and I'm like, uh, she might have a buck behind her. So I spin around, and I turn over my left shoulder, which was a mistake because my bow's hanging on my right side. Turn over my left shoulder, and there's a good mature oak tree like 30 yards behind me. And when I tell you, I could see a left main beam on one side and a right main beam on the other. I mean, it's uh, what do you think that deer is 18 inches wide? At least, yeah. Solid deer, uh, 140 inch deer. And I could see him on both sides of the tree, and I'm like, so I'm all the way turned this way. He's on coming to this side, and my bow's on this side. So I gotta spin 180, then I gotta make that awkward shot where your chest is in front of the tree. You got to try to like draw, and I kind of just laughed. I was like, this ain't happening. He's already at 18 yards. The doe's underneath me. And um, I click the GoPro. I'm trying to get to the, the, the bow, and I'm watching him between my legs. I'm watching him underneath my platform, and I'm not even close to where I need to be. And uh, I watch him do the classic. He sees my steps, and then he's like, doom, 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 and then he just pegs me. And I'm like, that's all she wrote. And uh, you see in the video, he kind of gave me that little head head shake and took one more step, and then he just blew out. And uh, a buddy of mine killed him two weeks later, uh, just a hammer of a deer. Um, so at that point in time, I'm pretty low deer season. I'm like, man, I've missed out on two good deer. Uh, but classic Thanksgiving week rolls in. Normally some family will hunt with me. We'll still hunt in public, but... Uh, there's a small gun season in there, and I've uh, been pretty consistent in the last couple of years. Uh, killed three bucks in the last three years on that week. Uh, two of them were really good bucks, and um, hunted this little ridge and textbook. Uh, buck came through chasing the doe, 33 yards, and took a shot. And he's a good public public buck. So my my season was salvaged. I got to put my Texas tag on a uh, a good deer and was happy with it. Uh, Ended up shooting a couple hogs and some other stuff, but it was a good season. Uh, but typical, typical season for me. The challenges of public land public hunting. Public land, yeah, stick bow, everything, but uh, it, it's fun, man. It's what yeah. we live for. Absolutely. So, so I wanted to ask this. Just came to my mind as you're as you're talking there and talking about these deer. Do you, having hunted both private and public? Do you feel like the deer on public are truly more skittish than private land whitetails? Yes and no. Um, you'll never meet a more skittish deer than an adult doe at a feeder. I mean, I, I, I've had I've had bucks at feeders and not even try to draw on them because of a doe. You know, I would tell people all the time, a doe, a doe is not the hardest to see. 
but the hardest deer in the woods to kill. You get a buck in there underneath you, once he's surveyed the area, he's pretty chill. Yeah. And you can kill him. A doe, I don't know what happens to him, but they're looking up in trees. They're looking for the boogeyman to jump out and get them. Uh, so it's hit or miss on public. Uh, late season public deer are skittish. They've been pounded by hunters for three months. Yeah. I was going to say it probably has to do with pressure too. But They, they figured out. But an early season deer on public, most of our WMAs around here, unless they're getting pig hunted, no one's out there. Right. I've been hunting a WMA for the last three weekends. I shot a pig a couple weekends ago. Um, I haven't seen another human in three weeks out there. So for nine months out of the year, these deer are relaxed. So the, that first couple weeks of October, those deer are really pat. You can pattern them, and they're really relaxed. Uh, it all depends on the private, as you know. Mm-hmm. Deer aren't stupid. They know where those ground blinds are. They know where those tree stands are. So kind of depends on the deer. The answer to your question is, yes, they're both hard to kill. <laughs> I, I would never look no. at a private land hunter and say, oh, you got it so easy. Uh, there's there's pros and cons. Yeah. You know? The pros of private land hunting is you get, get to be selective. Most of the time you can run cameras. You know what you're going after. Uh, the con is, you know, if they're not on the food source, if they're not betting on your private property... You have 300 acres. That's all you can hunt, you know. If I see a deer that's bedding 100, you know, 100 yards away, I can go 100 yards. If he's a mile away, I can go a mile yard on public. A mile away on public. Um, it's just each hunter has their different battles. Uh, so I don't, I don't know how to answer that. I, I think it's either one. No, it on I, deer. I think you did answer it. It's just yeah, yeah it. It depends. None on, of them easy to kill. No, it de- yeah. it depends on pressure. I I don't know. I just you you hear, again, outsider kind of looking into the public land scene, but you know going off of what you hear mm-hmm. from the negatives of public land, or you know it's it's too crowded. The deer are more skittish. The deer are harder to find. They're harder to hunt. Again, yeah. I, I think it's it depends on pressure. It depends on if you're hunting those mm-hmm. super pressured areas or if you're, and again. Not to not to talk bad about anybody else, but how good of a hunter you are also right. plays a part. But. I think I just it's like I said earlier, it's I probably just go a little bit more than everybody else. It's, <laughs> it's about boot, boots on the ground, you know. The best the best guy the best crappie fisherman you know is the guy who crappie fishes the most. Right. You know, it's it's who puts that effort in. Uh, it's just about being out there. Um, it you can look at it and say, you know. You could have tagged out this year, but finding that one on private that you wanted to shoot is just as hard as me finding that one buck on public that I can get at 20 yards. Yeah, I learned to accept it like this. Uh, deer, deer on public land don't know they're public land deer. Yeah. They're not like, <laughs> they don't, their fawns aren't born and they're like, now look, we're public land deer. We can't travel. We can't move. If I'm hunting a spot on public and I don't see deer, I'm not going to say, well, it's public land. I didn't see any deer. I just wasn't where those deer moved. They got to get up. They got to drink water. They got to feed. And they got to sleep. And during the rut, they got to breed. It's about being in the right tree where they're going to do that. You know, Deer don't, deer aren't on public land saying, we're not eating today because we're a public land deer. Right. There's an oak tree they're feeding under. Just finding that tree that they're feeding at. Right. You know? it, sometimes it can be tougher for those deer to say, to hunt a deer that knows we could wait 
20 minutes after light and hear Sam unzip that blind and go feed at that feeder afterwards than it is trying to find a deer on daylight in public. It's just, it's about luck sometimes. Yeah. That old saying, it better be lucky than good. Put the hard work in, pray that you get an opportunity and try to make the best of it. Yeah. For for our listeners and, and our viewers, if you're watching the video, the I don't think I've had this season a conversation with you, Jesse, mm-hmm. about hunting and you not talked about how I could have tagged out or how I should have shot deer Man, this year. <laughs> I'd, I'd get home and I'd watch the YouTube videos and some of them were later and we had talked at church or whatever and I know, but he he would he'd put up. I'm, I want to wait and let my wife shoot it. And I'd just be like, this idiot, man, shoot that deer. <laughs> you know, I'm sitting there in a, a, a bow stand freezing and I got a spike working to me and I'm shaking. I'm like, I'm about to kill this spike. And you're passing. It's just, it's how you want to hunt. There's no right or wrong, you know. Yeah. I'm never going to look at somebody and say, you hunt compound, you're wrong. Yeah. You hunt a private, you're wrong. Each their own, what you want to do, you know. Yeah. We have, we're too small of a community to be fighting amongst each other, mm-hmm. you know. Uh People talk about all the time. Well, if we're gonna we're gonna keep hunting alive, we need more hunters. That's not true because hunters are such a small population. You know, we'll never have enough hunters to be a swing vote to keep public access or our private lands to be able to hunt. It's about representing the hunters that are in existence better. And if me and you are fighting over who's a better hunter or how you hunt, it's doing nothing for our community. If we're truly hunters and we really love what we do and we're really obsessed with it. We're going to get along. We're going to shake hands, slap each other on the back and say, good job, man. You know, I want the spike I kill on public land with a stick bow. I want you to be just as excited for me as I, what I would be if you got your target five-year-old buck. Yeah. You know, why are you in the game? Why, what are you obsessed with doing? Yeah. It's hunting a mature deer too tough for me. <laughs> no, I mean, I go after them. I mean, I'm not, I'm picky sometimes. In Texas, it's a wonderful thing. Some people hate it. That 13-inch rule is a great rule to have. Yeah. So you're not going to see a lot of under three-year-old bucks that are not 13 inches. Mm-hmm. And I've watched it make our state better. Um, just why do you play the game? Yeah, exactly. So. The And I'll just, because I know we have a lot of listeners with this podcast that are outside of the state of Texas, maybe have mm-hmm. never hunted Texas. The 13-inch rule um, from Texas Parks and Wildlife is basically it's county specific mm-hmm. i believe for the most part but uh, so some counties it's, it's not applicable mm-hmm. but most counties you're allowed to kill two two bucks um one of them has to be a mature buck they label it as a deer with an inside spread of 13 inches or greater mm-hmm. and the other one has to be a unbranched an unbranched antler buck so yeah spike or three point you know can't be a fork or, or yeah. anything like that um and you and you're right a lot of hunters i've heard a lot complain about man how am i supposed to know if it's 13 inches in the field which they they have the ear rule mm-hmm. you know if the deer's looking at you and it's past the ears it's it's greater than 13 inches yeah. if it's inside the ears no it's go it's a good but, estimate it's not perfect yeah it, it's not perfect it's the best you can judge on mm-hmm. on the hoof but but you're you're spot on it's yes some people look at it as as a stupid rule and and there are there are instances with certain deer where it might it might be hurting you. You might have a cold buck that's a mature buck yep, that absolutely. is just his genetics are he's a narrow deer. He might be nine inches wide and have all this mass and be, yeah, and be, be, a be a 140 inch deer with yep. all this mass, but he's only nine inches wide. Um, you know that in that sense with a deer like that it, it would hurt somebody but for the most part you're right it's made our state better because it's kept guys from shooting those 
those up and comers, yeah. those two, three year olds that, um, given another year would be more in their prime and coming from a state yeah. like Louisiana. I mean, the saying in Louisiana, if it's Brown, it's down. We get eight tags in Louisiana for, wow. well, I don't know if it's this way anymore since I've moved. We used to get four bucks, four does, no antler restrictions. Wow. And that's why you didn't see a lot of big deer coming out of Louisiana. Mm-hmm. Now they've started doing some antler restrictions and stuff from what I'm aware of or management programs. And you're every year I'm starting to see more deer come out of Louisiana. Now one thing I will say Texas did a great job at is that unbranched rule. That's tough to try to get a kid involved in hunting and be like, sorry buddy, you can't shoot that deer. He's not 13 inches. That unbranched rule is good because it lets every kid shoot that first spike. Yeah. You know? And I'm not one of those ones that says a spike would never be a good deer. Spike can be a great deer later mm-hmm. on. But I, I think they did a good job at that to where, you know, you can take your son out or you can take a nephew out and they're going to have an opportunity at their first deer and not have to shoot a mature buck. But I've definitely watched it in the last four or five years, 13-inch rule, improve our, our deer quality. Yeah, I, I completely so. agree. Well, man, I've enjoyed this this For conversation. Sure. It's been good to, good to sit down and talk with you and hear a little bit about the – the public land owner, get you out there with you know? me yeah I, I know I, I i haven't done it and yeah. I, I know in the past i've i've educated myself more because i've i've been that guy that's yeah. been man it's too crowded i don't want to mess with other people out there and and whatnot but mm-hmm. um you know I, I've, I've been privileged to to have a, a private yeah. piece pretty consistently over the years and and i'm fortunate with that but um yeah for sure it's definitely definitely something that's that's piquing my interest and For and sure. you know I it's like I I go to freaking Montana and hunt public land up there to hunt pronghorn why not hunt whitetail here you know why not so you know especially you know I I hunt public in Oklahoma a good bit Oklahoma some great public land hunting it's just it's fun you're going to run into your headaches and stuff but uh it's just a different ball game it's yeah. like we're talking about trail cameras not no because I don't run trail cameras number one they get stolen number one like I said I'm a baby <laughs> I'm like, I can hunt a spot and have a great hunt and then I get my trail camera card and see that somebody was in that walk past my camera the day before and I'll pull my stand and be like I don't want to hunt here but it's fun because you have no idea what's about to walk out yeah. it might be a llama like that first yeah. time I had on public <laughs> or it might be like that deer that came under me this year 140 inch deer that you know you'll brag about for the rest of your life you stick that yeah so exactly it's an obsession it is yep in so many ways well, man, thanks for, for sure. thanks for coming out here. I know, like I said at the beginning, uh, we we you know the we're going to be doing some stuff with you at least on our pages with some content here in the in the coming weeks. This this podcast won't be it. Yep. Um, we got we got a video in the works, which will be pretty cool. I'm looking forward to to that. But appreciate you coming out and sure. spend a few hours with us this afternoon and recording videos, podcasts, and it's yep. been fun hanging out. So. Better than being this 20 degree Texas weather we've been having. I know. Crazy. Texas needs to, needs to figure it out for sure. But I enjoyed it. Yeah, absolutely. Me too. For our listeners, appreciate you guys tuning in. Uh, if you're watching the video, thanks for watching. Um, if you're listening, this video, we're doing podcast videos now with all of our episodes. So be sure you head on over to our YouTube channel. Check that out. We got a lot of other different content. The video series that jesse and i have referenced uh, as far as my experience hunting some private here in texas is our texas dirt series it's on our uh on our youtube channel i still got a few episodes in the editing room i need to dish out in the coming weeks so go subscribe turn on your notifications that way you're prepared for them 
whatever podcast app you're listening to this podcast on, go ahead and hit that follow and subscribe button. We're on all major podcast platforms as well as our YouTube channel, like I mentioned, and our website, fallobsession.com. From that website, you can get to all of our content, videos, articles, wild game recipes, um, different media series that we're running, and obviously the podcast. Shop our Fall Obsession gear. We got some new spring designs that we're working up right now, but in the meantime, we're trying to clear out some of our existing t-shirts and stuff. So we got a few things on sale marked down for you guys from uh, from last year. So you can take a, take advantage of some deals while you're at it. Social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, we're on all those social platforms as well as Go Wild app. They're another good partner of ours. There's a link on our website if you want to go check out their uh, censorship-free app for hunters and outdoorsmen. It's a pretty cool platform they got going. And uh, also on our website, fallobsession.com, if you go to the podcast page, we're preparing for episode 100. It's a pretty big milestone in our podcast uh, series that we've been running for a couple years now. Our four administrators are going to get together. Um, first time all four of us have been on a podcast together, and we're going to do that episode 100. We're giving our listeners, our viewers, an opportunity to uh, be a part of that podcast. If you got topic suggestions, questions, general input, stuff you want to send us that we can talk about in that episode, you can do it from fallobsession.com slash podcast. Send that over. Uh, we'll be recording that episode here in a few weeks. And finally, our sponsor segment, uh, Ridge Rock Hunt Company. I mentioned them at the beginning. I'm rocking the hat. Derek and Lacey over in uh, Mississippi with the Ridge Rock Hunt Company. They book hunts. Um, if you are looking for a, a new adventure, want to book that bucket list hunt, or you're just looking for a new opportunity and you're working on a budget, they can help you with any of that, um, get you set up. They got anything and everything under the sun that they can uh, fix you up with with a vetted outfitter in North America. So go check them out. Again, that's Ridge Rock Hunt Company. Jesse, thanks, buddy. I Sorry. appreciate it. We'll have to do it again sometime. I'm down. Anytime. Sounds good. All right, guys, thank you all for listening, watching, and we'll be back again with you guys next week for another Fall Obsession podcast episode.